Welcome to Faith Community Church. We're glad that you're here. Hey, listen, we've, uh, we've got a new uh, element in our sound system, okay? And so the guys back there are working hard on this. They're going to get it all adjusted up and everything. And, and so be a little tolerant, a little patient. Uh, every once in a while we get a boom out of the deal. But uh, it's just us. And we're glad that you're here today. So glad to see you. Happy to see you this morning. And um, we just, uh, we're just going to believe that God is going to touch a lot of people's lives today. We believe that. We honestly believe that. And uh, we're going to stand on that this morning. <clears throat> I'd like you to stand with me, though, as we get into the Word of God here this morning. I want to read... I simply want to read uh, here beginning in verse uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. This is a passage of scripture that you've heard before, but I want to read it to you again because it's, it's good news. The Bible says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that's the key phrase right there, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish person who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house and it and great was the fall. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So God has given us his word, hasn't he? I take it that the building on the rock is talking about the word. It's talking about Christ. It's talking about the things of God. Let's build our houses on God. Father, we thank you this morning that today we, we uh, <clears throat> come into this place and we are filled with anticipation, we are filled with hope, we are filled with the belief that, Father, that you are going to do a good thing in this church service this morning. Father, I pray that you're going to use the music, and this music is not only going to fill our hearts with gladness, it's also going to be an encouragement, it's going to open up doorways so that the Word of God is going to find a place in our hearts with also strength and, and joy and happiness. So, Father, we pray today that this is going to be the kind of a day that you are going to bless the people of God, you're going to work in people's lives, you're going to show us your great love and your great grace in our hearts. And so we thank you. We give you our praise today, all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, that's great. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning into the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12. This is a great portion of scripture. I tell you what, 
I looked at this scripture over and over several times last night and all through the week. And this is one of those pieces of the Bible right here. It's about two or three paragraphs, actually, that you, I think you could preach a couple months on just what's there. It is, <coughs> it is a great passage of scripture, and, and um, I'm just going to pluck a few uh, verses out of it and, and try to relate them to you this morning. Chapter three, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know, I was watching one of our uh, uh, Humboldt High School cross-country guys. I was, uh, I, early one morning, I was in Hy-Vee having a cup of coffee and reading the paper, and here comes this group of uh, cross-country people in. And I recognized some of the folks that come to the church here and everything, and on the back of one of their sweatshirts or T-shirts, was this, uh, this inscription, and it fits Philippians 3 perfectly. And it just said this, it's just a hill, get over it. <laughs> it's just a hill, get over it. Isn't that, it, you can preach on that, couldn't you? That's good, that's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying, forgetting those things which are in my past, I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. And verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think of yourself, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. This thing is a loaded up phrase, it's a loaded up paragraph, and I'm going to barely scratch the surface this morning. You know, we live in a selfie generation. You know, not selfish, well that too, but we, you know what a, you know what a selfie is? How many of you know what a selfie is? Okay, good. I'm going to take one right now and you're in it. Did it work? I don't know. <laughs> Here's your phone. It's a selfie. Did I get it? Kind of. That's about how my technology works. <laughs> there it is. We'll post it this afternoon. No, we probably won't. We probably shouldn't. You know, selfies, selfies are where you take a photo of yourself, really. And there's usually people in the background and, and stuff like this. And uh, uh, it, it helps people know where in the world you are. Not that we really care, but uh, I'm here having lunch today. Click. And, you know, you got a picture of a sandwich or a bologna or something like that. 
And, but I mean, it, it, it also tells how great your life is. A selfie. How great is your life? I have a picture of the world's first selfie camera. <laughs> See, I, I wanted you to, you know, a little history here this morning, the world's first selfie camera. Uh, also, Albert Einstein is going to, uh, if you're interested in quantum physics, we got you covered there. That's, today I'll explain the theory of relatively, but first let me take a selfie. And so, did you know selfies have been around since 2003? That's about 14 years ago they started. And they, they continue to grow and everything, and there's more things that you do about them and with them and, and everything. We have now selfie sticks, and that extends the, uh, the actual camera or the uh, cell phone so you can get more people into it. And um, who knows what's next. Uh, so you can be walking down the street with your selfie stick and taking pictures of yourself and people really are into what you're doing. Just can't wait to see it. And um, the question is, do selfies tell the truth? I don't think they do. You know, Karen, you had a great testimony here. And you didn't take a selfie, but the selfie that we saw of you said one thing but deep on the inside, it was really very different. A lot of us can relate to that, I think. We come, I've got the suit on and everything, but deep on the inside, there may be other things that are happening in my life, in my heart, things that are going on in my family or the work or whatever it might be, that we're not gonna take a selfie of that. It's just what is on the outside. I've wondered, as I put this message together, as I was thinking about this, I want, if the Apostle Paul were here today, do you think he would take a selfie? You know, I, here I am at Lystra getting stoned, and I'm not talking about smoking marijuana. I'm talking about, I'm talking about real rocks falling on your head. <laughs> These people want to kill me. <laughs> let, let me get a selfie first, okay? I mean, I don't know if he would use that or not. For the most part, a selfie is something that actually puts kind of a favorable spin on your life, and, uh, but a selfie doesn't tell the other side of your life, just what you want people to see. You know, I came across an illustration this week and that I just love that fits into this message. It seems to fit into it rather well. Uh, it's a story of an undergraduate student named Matthew Ross at San Diego State University. I, I just found this this week. He wrote to a prestigious uh, financial firm, and he asked about a possible internship, and in the letter he wrote, he says this, and I quote, I have no problem about going after coffee, shining shoes, picking up laundry, and I'm willing to work for almost nothing. In all honesty, I just want to be around successful professionals in the finance industry and gain as much knowledge as I can. I will not waste your time inflating my credentials and throwing around some exaggerated job titles. The truth is, I do not have some kind of unbelievable 
skill or genius. I do have a very good grade point average and I will work very hard for you. And that was the end of his letter and he signed his letter. Now do you know what happened? They brought him on. And they said somebody who is this honest, who is this self-aware of their life, we want that kind of person to be around us and to learn the financial industry and all of those things that might go with it. It was refreshing. A selfie was not needed, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. Our selfies and our resumes don't really count for too much. Some of us don't have much of a resume. Some of us got lots in our resume. But let me tell you something. When we stand before God, it doesn't mean all that much because it is a matter of, have I been redeemed by the incredible, amazing grace of God? Has God touched my life? And has he done something in my life and in my heart? So what does God do with people like you and me? I believe that there are sometimes there are people that sort of have this thinking, and I, I believe it's kind of a warped idea that uh, God is saying to people, or saying to somebody, hey, listen, you need to get your act together. I might say that, and I might want to say that to other people, and you may want to say that to me. I'm not convinced that God is the one who says that to us. It's time you learn you can't, and, and, and is God going to say, hey, you know, it's time you learn you can't get away with everything that you think. And besides, you're going to pay for that kind of life you have. Well, part of that's true and part of it isn't. I personally believe it's not biblical at all. I do believe God looks at us and he desires to show us life and to give us hope and, and then provide for us a gracious gift that we will use for his glory. There's no selfies needed, no selfies allowed. You need to see yourself as God would see you, as a person who is saved by his grace. And nothing that I did is going to make a difference in that. Nothing that I could possibly do is going to make any kind of a difference in how God sees me. This is undeserved. It is unmerited. I didn't have it coming to me. God simply gave it to me. I like the books that Philip Yancey writes, mainly because they're, they're very readable, very enjoyable. He wrote one, and it's been around for a little bit, and the title of it is, What is So Amazing About Grace? Philip Yancey makes this... Uh, description of grace in his book he says I quote grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less that's a pretty good definition I like it this is what's so amazing about grace even if you're here today and you've been you've had a broken life it's been broken perhaps by sin. Maybe you're here with a situation that has become a failed relationship. Who knows? Sometimes people just simply make bad decisions. 
and we wind up with some of the consequences and some of the things that spill out of that. But I want you to know that does not cancel out the grace of God. Just because I made a bad decision last week, just because I lived the last seven days and somehow in those seven days I just, I just blew it. That does not say, and God does not say, okay, that's it. No more grace for you. That's not how it works at all. And thank God it doesn't. I'm, thank, I'm thanking the Lord today that it does not. We need to hear about the grace that is offered by, <clears throat> by Christ. God looks at you and he sees his precious son. He sees his precious uh, daughter. God is able to look through our flaws and the shame, the baggage that we drag into a, through our life and all of these things. If I would ask for a show of hands here this morning, and I'm not, if I would ask for a show of hands, how many, how many have some baggage in your life that you want God to take care of or that God has already taken care of? My guess is Virtually every hand would be raised. That's because Jesus took it to the cross. And then when he went to the grave, he left it in the grave. And when he was resurrected to everlasting life, he offers to you, here's new hope. Here's new grace. Here's new opportunity. Here's my love to you. And my grace to you. Check out what Paul says. If you've got your Bible open yet to Philippians 3, I'm going to read you a little bit of something here that Paul says. I can just, I can, I can sort of see Paul saying this in a, in a modern sense here in 2017, saying something like this. Look, you want to look at resumes, you ought to compare mine. And then he starts reading. What things were gained to me, I've counted them as loss. I have indeed counted all things for loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of everything, that I might gain them, and that I might know his power of his suffering, of his resurrection, and the fellowship. Paul had a resume, didn't he? He really did. And it was a good one. But Paul basically is saying, he says, look, I don't need that, and I don't want that. I'm putting this on a junk pile just so I can know Christ, just so I can walk in his fellowship. That's all I care about. I don't care about gaining stuff. I don't care about acquiring stuff. I don't care about any of this. I just want to know Christ. I want to walk in the fellowship with Christ. Nancy, I think there's somebody in need to hear that today. I just feel like there's somebody in here today you're putting a lot of stock into some stuff. It's not bad stuff. It's not evil or anything like that. But, but you just need to kind of crank your thinking about a quarter turn, if you will, and get to thinking about what God wants to do in your life, not what you can acquire, not what you can accomplish, not what you can build into your life. There's something else that's intriguing in this passage. 
and it's found in verse 12 and 13. I read this here, not that I've already attained, but that I'm, or that I'm already perfected. I'm glad that's in the Bible. But I press on to that, my, <clears throat> that I might lay a hold of what Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I do not count myself as apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are in my past, I press on for God. If you don't do anything else today, if you get absolutely nothing out of this message, if you can capture that one little piece, I press on for God. Then you've got it all. You know, there's a process to growth, isn't there? There's a process to growth. You know, when I got out of Bible school, I really thought I was pretty well prepared. And I felt like there would be people probably taking a lot of notice. And I found out that that wasn't the case. My first assignment was in a simple wood frame church. Do we have a picture of that or a picture? Yeah. There. They painted it. That's the one thing I noticed. They put paint on it. That baptistry back there, I'll bet it still leaks. <laughs> you know, we put water in it right at, we'd have a baptismal service on Sunday nights, and we put water, we'd start water. Actually, we would start water in it on Saturday. It leaked that bad. And we kept trying to treat it and so it wouldn't leak. We did not have a, um, a heater. And so I got inventive and I went out and found, uh, and these are hard to find in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, stock heaters. That's because there's not all that much livestock in Alaska except for bear and moose and, and everything else. But I found one. And so I stuck it down in there thinking, this is going to work. I thought we might have burned the building down. Anyway. That's what God allowed me to do. And I'm glad he did. You cannot be faithful over the many until you're faithful over the few. And that's just how it works. Pay attention to the responsibility God has given you, and then you'll get promoted. Now, I'm going to ask, we did not rehearse this very well. In fact, in all candor, we did not rehearse this at all. And so I'm going to ask Donna Lee, and I'm going to ask Janet if they'll come and help me with this portion of the message. Okay? They're going to come. And Donna Lee, are you going to go to the organ? Okay. And Janet, you're going to go to the piano? You realize, folks, that between these two people right here, they have been playing that organ or piano for 110 years. Did you know that? Yeah. Now, that is an E. That, that, that means it's combined years. Not, not, Janet's been playing for 110 years and... <laughs> Well, I'm grateful for you. 
I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with Janet first. And how's my time? Oh, it's pretty good. Um, Janet, play me a, you know, when you first started with the keyboard, play me a scale. What did it sound like? Could use a little more practice, huh? Donnelly, how did, how did that first scale that you tried on the organ, how did that work for you? Mm. That's kind of poor, isn't it? They need more practice, don't you think? Okay, so we're going to assume that they've been practicing diligently now for several months. Uh, give that another shot. Yeah, yeah, that's better. That's right. Donnelly, Donnelly, give it a, give it a go. That's good, isn't it? But you know what? When they were practicing, nobody applauded. Nobody was around to say, yay, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. But after a long time of practice, a long time of putting in the necessary hours and all of that. Uh, I don't know which, Janet or Donald, which one, you play me some, play a few bars of something. That works pretty good, Donnelly, how you doing? You know, the thing with Donna Lee is, she has pedals, too. <laughs> it's not just a keyboard up here. There's pedals down here, and she has one foot to work them. The other foot has to be on the crescendo pedal, right? Did you know I used to play the organ? <laughs> I did. Didn't I, Joan? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm getting distance out here. I did, I used to. And then I got away from it. What's that? No, I did not press on in that regard. I can tell you, thank you very much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. These are great women. These are great women. I quit playing the organ, actually, in Alaska. Because I remember one, uh, one Sunday night, we didn't have any, but we had an organ and a piano. And the organ, when you turn the switch on, sometimes you'd have to slap it on the side <laughs> to get the motor running. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and I decided I'm going to, I picked some songs for our evening service that I could play. Well, that ended my, I'm done. That didn't work out real good. You know, you can go out and buy a piano and say, in a, you know, you say, I want to I wanna sound, sound like Janet. I want to sound like Donnelly. And in a couple months, if you're not sounding, you know, some people just quit. They say, okay, that didn't work out. Pastor Russ has a, a neat guitar here. Uh, and it's taking him a long time to be able to learn how to play that well. And there's a lot of people that buy, some, they'll buy a neat guitar and they'll 
maybe take a lesson or try to figure it out by himself, and it doesn't work, and he's and there's the guitars sitting in the corner. Nothing happened yet. They aren't going to clap while you're on the rehearsal stage, but they will when you're playing the concert. Gordon Mode was the exception to this rule. If I understand his testimony, I think he began playing at age three. And he just walked up to the piano and started playing it. He's the one in a million or 10 million or 100 million. How many times have we started something and then stopped and we realize a lot of it's going to take a lot of rehearsal. God says, despise not the day of small beginnings. And we begin with that scale that both of these women played. And that scale wasn't all that great the first time through, but it got there. And now they're very capable of playing for a great audience, any audience. You know, our growth process is a process. We come to Christ on Sunday morning, October 15th. And by October 22nd, next Sunday, hey, I ought to be pretty mature by now. It really doesn't work that way, does it? It takes some time. It takes some growth. It takes some learning. It takes some study. It takes maybe the wisdom of some other people feeding into your life and things like that. Paul helps us a little bit here. Turn the page in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Listen to what he says. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and on all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you know what? You can too. You can do all things. If God has laid something on your heart to do, he will help you to do it. He's capable of doing just that. And as a Christ follower, I don't need a selfie because that's just who I am today. And I'm not trying to show off. I'm not trying to market myself, but I'll be, but I want to be consistent. I want to be faithful. I want to be a person to, <clears throat> that the effort that God puts into me can be used to the glory of God and bear much fruit. That's what I want. That's what I ask. God doesn't need your work because he's already done everything for you. What I need to do is figure out what God wants and then ask God to give me strength and give me ability to be able to do just that. Listen to me. God is not afraid of messy people. Messy people can make you nervous. 
because they've got all kinds of stuff going on in their life. But God's not afraid of them. Think of that woman at the well in John chapter 4. You talk about a messed up woman. Jesus was not afraid of her. Jesus did not hesitate for a second to talk to her and speak to her and to see the power of God's Holy Spirit literally transform her life. You take Zacchaeus up in that tree, nobody liked him. This guy is somebody you like to kind of shoulder out of the way if you saw him on the street or kick him. Jesus wasn't afraid of him. Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to have lunch together. And Zacchaeus became a changed person, totally changed, totally transformed. And that's what God does. God changes people's lives. God loves the broken. He loves the hurting. He embraces the failure. He loves to seek after the lost, just as he sought after that thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's who Jesus is. Don Lee, would you begin to play Amazing Grace? Because we're going to sing the first verse at least. He loves to tell people, like I've already mentioned, we went out this week and you were in church last Sunday and we had a great service and all of those things and <clears throat> you were here and you went out encouraged and strengthened and the devil just whacked you over the head and kicked the legs out from under you. You fell down. You messed it up. I am so thankful, Paul, for the grace of God and the fact that God never messes up. God does not give up, but God reaches out and takes our lives who have been all messed up, confused, and we thought we were ready for the concert hall when really we needed to stay in the rehearsal hall and pick us back up, prop us up, and give us new hope. And that's the God I speak about this morning. That's the God that is here today. That's the God who loves you. And there are no exceptions in this room. Today, God desires to paint a new picture of his amazing grace in your life. Would you let him? Would you allow him to do that? Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today, just as I mentioned, Father, would you paint a new picture of your amazing grace in somebody's life today? Somebody here this morning that it's not important to us what's been going on, and you already know what's been going on. What's important is they are here and you are here, and you want to paint a new picture into their life of hope, of help, of grace. Father, I pray this, this morning for that person right now, for somebody in this room, somebody right now, who would just simply pray with me, Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to come into my heart and into my life. I mean it this time. I mean it. I literally want to change. I want to quit putting out the selfies and trying to fool a lot of people when deep on the inside, 
I'm fooling no one. I just simply want to come to you. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to, if necessary, forgive the sin and write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want a fresh start, and I like that today. I want it today. Jesus, come into my life, my heart. I believe you and only you. You died for me. You were raised from the dead. And I ask you to be my Savior. I ask you to be the one who changes me. I ask you to be the one who will be the Lord of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Father, may the Lord bless and keep your people. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious into your life. Father, may you lift up your countenance upon every, every life that's here, every family, every home. Father, fill our homes with, with the, the presence of God and the joy of the Lord. Father, give us new strength as we walk out of this building today. Give us new hope. Give us courage to live for you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.